Hi, this is Carrie with the Promised Podcast, and today I have two guests with me Nicole Bigelow, who is a resilience coach in overcoming narcissistic abuse and recovery with the Living Well, and guest Kelly Craig, who is a codependency recovery coach. So, hi, Nicole. Hi, Kelly. How are you guys? Hi, Carrie. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to have you guys on today. So um, I I just want to introduce you guys and let you share a little bit about what you do. Nicole, would you please start for us? Sure. My name's Nicole Bigelow, and I'm actually the um, co-creator of a company called The Living Well, along with Kelly Craig. Um, We created The Living Well because we really wanted to give uh, survivors of domestic violence a space to heal, um, to be heard, to be validated, um, to receive the compassion that we're missing in the industry and in society at large just because of a lack of awareness about what domestic violence really is and the many forms it comes in. And so we're working really hard to bring a bridge that gap of of um, the lack of awareness. Um, specifically, we work. I work with women who are overcoming narcissistic abuse. Um, it's my passion. It's my. I've. I am my own survivor of. I am my own. I am a survivor of narcissistic abuse myself, and so it has really become um, near and dear to my heart as a mission to help women. Um, navigate such a very difficult and underserved demographic or, you know, difficulty, hardship in their life. So that's the work that I do. We have several support groups and um, online, uh, that happens online virtually live, but we also have support groups on Facebook and we do one-on-one coaching and some support uh, coaching through our narcissistic abuse uh, school. So we're really excited about that. So we're happy to be here. I'm happy to be here. I love what you're doing. Um, I was so excited to do this podcast with you because as you know, I've been following your work and I just think it's incredible. It's just incredibly powerful what you are doing to help women and just really appreciate that. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. I appreciate what you do too. Thank you. We all got to stick together. I think women should empower and, and, you know, bridge, um, you know, unite one another. I don't know why we get competitive. Um, yeah. you know, women struggle against all these other factors. We should work together to help ourselves deal with them. I think we'd be so much stronger that way. Gosh, absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. That is so true. So Kelly, please share with us a little bit about yourself and what you do. All right, thanks for having me. I'm uh, Kelly Craig. Uh, As Carrie said, I'm a codependency recovery coach. I specialize in healing codependency, uh, shifting the mindset and empowering women um, in their self-worth. A lot of codependents uh, don't feel enough or have been told they weren't enough or didn't get enough love in their life. So. through my healing journey um it's more based on um family addiction for where i came from 
and watching pretty much my entire family um, destroy themselves with either alcohol or drugs and deciding that that isn't a path that I want for myself and that I needed to break the cycle. Um, so I, I started my healing journey and found that I could empower myself and I could become so much more than what I was or thought I was. And I've been able to pretty much move mountains. I'm an author now of a book, uh, Healing from a Loved One's Addiction on Amazon. And, um, you know, I'm looking forward to working with Nicole to help these women see the value that they do hold, uh, regardless of where they came from or what they're going through, that there is so much more for them in their lives. And um, this journey that we're all on is just one that I am I am proud to be a part of. So I'm just happy to be here with you guys today. Thank you, That's Kelly. Awesome, Kelly. <laughs> yeah, I really appreciate that, what, what you're doing. And um, it's just, it's been a blessing and honor to get to know both of you. And I'm so excited to be, to be starting this new venture together with you guys that we've been talking about recently. And um, today we're actually going to be talking about forgiveness, which I mean, really what better day to be talking about forgiveness um, than on Good Friday, right? Very true. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. So um, what have you guys been taught about forgiveness? Whoever would like to share first, I would love to hear what you guys have been taught about this over your life. I guess I'll go first. So where I come from, um, we didn't really talk about problems in general. You know, we just shove issues under the rug. No one really knew how to communicate in a healthy manner. So you just didn't communicate at all. And when someone did something wrong, you just ignored it and pretended to go away. <laughs> that was basically the coping strategy. Um, <laughs> But as I, I did, uh, as I became an adult and um, started to mature on my own and looked for more answers, I started uh, learning about the Bible and what the Bible teaches about forgiveness and mercy and empathy and compassion. And so that taught me a whole, you know, it's a, it's a big subject, you know, it has a lot of components. Um, yeah. But it was a big stark contrast from where I came from. No longer was it about ignoring things, but more about dealing with things and dealing with them in a respectful manner, um, in a tactful manner, in a loving manner, but also dealing with them and holding people accountable, um, but giving mercy where mercy is allowed. So I'm sure we're going to get into those components, but that's the just. Okay. How about you, Kelly? Sure. So I was um, taught what was right and what was wrong in, I guess, my parents' eyes, um, divorced, so they saw things a little bit differently, but always made to apologize if I was wrong and pretty much shamed, I guess, for, for, for things that didn't go right and feeling that in my apologies. Um, and then learning uh, later in life that we carry things and we often have resentment, which needs to be let go 
which can cause illness and sickness and, and interrupt our relationships, um, our growth in ourselves. So we really do mm. need to have a practice where we can forgive um, and, and let things go. It doesn't make what that person did right, that they harmed you or wronged you, um, but for your own mental, mental health, essentially, in your own heart, um, finding a way to forgive because it is what God would want us to do um, is, is really what I try to practice now. Mm, that's beautiful. Yeah, I, growing up, I was taught um, that forgiveness meant a lot of what like the original scriptures teach about letting go. I mean, that's kind of how it's referenced um, from the original version. It's a for- forgiveness is kind of like a letting go, um, which is essential, I think, for us to, to, to heal and to move forward. Um, however, letting go the way that that was taught to me was to kind of let what they did, the person that harmed you, um, go to an extent where you're expected to reconcile with that person. You're expected to, to try and have a foundation of truth, of, of trust with them. Um, and so basically you're t- just totally letting go of whatever the harm was, but also the consequences of that harm. And which is really not what the Bible teaches at all. Um, so that was something that, that really hindered me going into adulthood because I had this misconception of, well, I need to forgive them. I also need to reconcile with them and learn how to trust them again, despite whatever they're being responsible for on their end for changed behavior. Yeah. Forgive and forget, Carrie. Forgive and forget. (laughs) That's right. Right. (laughs) That's what we were taught to do. Yeah. So I know that we've kind of shared a little bit already about how, how this has affected us, but can you guys expand a little bit more on how, what you were taught about forgiveness um, affected your life or your faith positively um, or negatively down the road? Yeah, it was rough. <laughs> I just have to be honest with you. It's terrible. <laughs> You know, I didn't feel prepared for adulthood. Um, I didn't have boundaries or standards, expectations of what was okay and what wasn't okay with me. Um, I didn't know that I was allowed to have that or have a voice or choose for myself what was acceptable. Um, that I So I was basically put what I was taught or what I was led to believe. I, let me just get this clear right away. I, I'm not blaming like my family I or saying, you know, I had such a terrible childhood. I'm just saying right. that I believe that based on just where they come from and what they were taught and where they, you know, life has led them in their lives is what they, you know, your parents only have what they've been shown and what they have in the moment to give you. So, right. um, so, but going into adulthood and into the real world, leaving and being exposed to adult issues, 
Um, it led me very, it, I was very vulnerable and unprepared. Um, and it was just, you know, put me at, I feel like at a disadvantage, but, um, when I learned what the Bible taught about, and I was taught, I think there's, so I think there's a big dis, um, nomer about forgiveness when it comes to what the Bible teaches. So I believe, and this is just my personal perception and you can take it or leave it, but I, I believe the Bible teaches that yes, you should forgive when a person has erred against you for sure. Um, freely, it says the Bible says, you know, how many times should I, um, forgive my brother if he sins against me. And Jesus says 77 times, right? Because people are imperfect. We're dust. We are, we're, we're prone to sin. We are, we're damaged just because of life. We're all um, living in an imperfect state. And so we're all coming from imperfect parents and living in a perfect world. So there, we're all going to rub each other wrong. We're all going to make mistakes. We all abuse each other on one extent or another, but like everything, there are limits and boundaries to this, um, freely forgiving, you know, everything just doesn't go. You can't just, you know, do terrible things to people and expect to get away with murder. That's just not reality. You know, that's every, every law of nature is, is, has a cause and effect. There are, you reap what you sow. I mean, you have to be careful not to contradict what the Bible teaches. Take what the Bible teaches and you have to apply all of its principles and make them balance. You can't just, you know, use one and swing the pendulum too far one to another. So the Bible says you must reap what you sow. So if a person errs, especially if it's a serious error, they have to suffer the consequences of their decision. So if and I believe that that is sometimes up to the survivor, the person that they've erred against, you know, um, if a person, I believe that you can forgive somebody for something and let it go without having that person in your life anymore or signing up for more abuse or more bad behavior, right? Especially if the person isn't repentant, which is a big component. I don't know if you're ready for me to get into that right this second or not, but really forgiveness is based on repentance. So Mm. if a person is not sorry and doesn't take responsibility for their action, then are they really forgiven in God's eyes? I don't know. I, I, it just depends, right? Cause if it's a small thing, like you, you accidentally say something to somebody, right. And then like, let's say you have a, a girlfriend at church or work and you accidentally say, God, that was stupid, or you do something and you didn't mean to hurt her feelings. And then you don't really feel sorry for it. And then she comes to you and says, Hey, you really hurt me. And then you're like, sorry, you know, we all have been there. Does that mean you're not forgiven? No, but this, there's a principle here. You know, if you do something that you know is harming another individual and then you're not sorry, and because you continue to do it, mm. and how many times could you really, would it be wise to continue to put yourself in that position over and over and over again, like a cheating spouse? Right. Is a cheater really sorry if they keep cheating? And would God require a woman to continue to be cheated on over and over again? Because it would be the Christian thing to do if really she's the innocent mate doing all the right things. Like, you know, so Absolutely. there's principle 
behind it. Yeah. That you really, it's, and it's not rocket science. We all know we're not children. We know when a person has erred so greatly, they're not sorry. Do we really need to forgive them? I believe we can forgive them. Forget it. No. Forgive. Yes. Let it go. Forget it. No. You need to protect yourself for future harm is my opinion. Absolutely. And you know, I, um, I appreciate what you're sharing and completely agree with you 100%. And I definitely am going to share my two cents on um, expanding on what you just shared about repentance and how God does, in fact, require that from us a little bit later. Um, But I want to touch back on something that you said in regards to consequences. Um, This is something that I came to find in the book of... um, that this pastor had written, it's called Mending the Soul, Understanding and Healing Abuse. And it's so funny because when I first read this book a couple of years ago, I read the entire book up until the last chapter. And the last chapter in the book is on forgiveness. And I saw it and I was like, nope, I'm good on that. I know all about that. And I closed the book. <laughs> I'm like, I don't need to know about forgiveness. I'm, I'm good on forgiveness. Well, I reopened this book over the holidays this past season, and um, I was like, you know what? I think I need some input on this because I was in this place of struggle to forgive. Like for the first time in my life, actually, really, really struggling to forgive. And I was kind of bound on like caught in the middle of like, why why is this so difficult for me right now? and felt that God was really trying to put something on my heart. And so it says something in here that I think is really interesting in regards to to consequences. Um, It says, one of the most important observations to make is that while the Bible does, does describe forgiveness as the removal or letting go of debt in Matthew 6, 12, forgiveness does not necessarily remove negative consequences for the one forgiven, nor does it automatically grant trust and reconciliation. One of the clearest examples is found in Numbers 14, 20 through 23, where God declares that he will forgive the Israelites for their rebellion, but that not one of the adults will enter the land he had promised them. More relevant for abuse is King David's sexual violation of Bathsheba and murder of her husband. Once David repented, Nathan declared that God had forgiven him and taken away his sin, and yet a series of harsh consequences was meted out by God. I will raise up evil against you from your own household. So these are very harsh consequences. Similarly, when the prophet Hosea took back his adulterous wife, Gomer, by God's directive, he forgave her but she was to remain in seclusion for two months and forego sexual intimacy with her husband. Trust is earned. Forgiving evil does not eliminate the negative consequences. Right. So I think that that's really important because like we were talking about as we were raised, kind of that forgive and forget mentality and just moving on and restoring trust. Well, there's things obviously that God has taught us that need to take place in order to rebuild that trust um, and for the person to have 
to receive the consequences in order to receive that full conviction in their heart to actually make long-term change. Mm -hmm. Totally. Because otherwise it's just a slap on the wrist. So how do you really know if a person's truly remorseful or really sorry if there's no true cost that they're willing to sacrifice, you know, to prove, to prove it. Sorry, Kelly, we don't mean to leave you out. I know. We'd love to hear what you have to to say on this. And I would love to hear as well from you, Kelly, how you're, how the, how this has affected you going into your adult life as well in regards to um, what you were taught about this? Sure. Um, so as you guys were speaking, I totally agree. Um, and I love how you brought in what you reap you sow. It is so true. And that, you know, that should be a basis for our behavior of what we do and do not do. Um, knowing that. <laughs> However, it doesn't always work that way, right? But as a kid, when I, when I, when someone said they were sorry or I had to forgive them, I was told I had to forgive them. I, I didn't understand why because they weren't really sorry. You know, if they were just a kid and they said sorry, I knew they weren't really sorry. So then I'm supposed to just forgive and forget and 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 you you get away with it. I I can totally relate with that, right? Um, but as an adult. You know, I had things that kept me awake at night, things that happened to me as a child or growing up with people who had hurt me. And um, it wasn't until I read the Adult Children of Alcoholics book where it said you need to forgive them, but you don't have to tell them that. They don't need to know, but for your own peace, you need to do it. And what I found was if I wrote them a letter and I told them how I felt, and then recognizing that maybe it was the way they were raised and that they didn't know what they were really doing, but they believed they were right because that's what they were taught. I could forgive them for it. And it took the weight off of me, you know, and it wasn't someone I was ever going to see again in my life. But I, I know that I stopped waking up at night with those thoughts in my mind. And Nicole, you mentioned never forget. Sometimes I, I don't want to remember though. I don't want the thoughts protruding in my everyday life anymore. They're from the past. I can pull them up whenever I want, but I don't want them at the forefront anymore. And that's where letting go is super important so that we're not dwelling on it and it's not coming back up all the time if we've already done the work to forgive, right? Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think I'll clarify a little bit about what I meant because I agree, and this is something you helped me work through too. I think uh, forgiveness is about letting go of the transaction or the issue that, you know, this, the aggressor, whatever happened that hurt. Um, But I, what I mean by not forgetting is by taking an action to protect yourself going further, further, you know, forward. So it's not about, it's not about carrying this resentment and harboring it. Cause then you're, it's, you're, you're right. It's like drinking poison every day. They're on moving on with their life and you're the one who continues to suffer, but you were the innocent one. Right. So that's unfair. So by letting it go and putting it to rest, we relieve and release that, um, that resentment, that load, because it does carry a physical weight on your psyche, right? But on the other hand, what we don't, don't do as codependents and survive 
survivors and victims uh, is we don't act at all when we forgive. And that's what I mean. And the clear, what I wanted to clarify is that we still need to take action to protect ourselves from future abuse going forward because this person has exposed to us the type of person that they are. People usually don't change. People, you know, if they've proven that they're going to cheat or lie or steal or or abuse, then you must, it's your responsibility to let go of that transaction, but also to protect yourself from further abuse going forward by not having them as your husband any longer or, you know, making this person your best friend. You have to have now a safe boundary to keep, to protect yourself, right? Right. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. Absolutely. And you know what, Nicole, I want to connect what you're saying right now, um, that the forgiveness to a narcissistic abuser um, and what that looks like because they will take the Bible, they will take the word out of context and they will use that as a weapon against their victims, um, as, as you know, and try to lord that over us. You know, you're, you're commanded to forgive me and then even us saying that there is consequences. A narcissistic abuser is a punisher and so, when we talk about forgiveness as a health coming from a healthy perspective, we're not talking about punishment. When we talk about consequences, we are talking about boundaries. We are talking about what the, the person that that's been harmful, um, needs to do in consequence of their behavior in order for reconciliation and, um, the reestablishment of trust to take place. And so this does not eliminate the factor of grace. Grace, there people make mistakes all the time and grace is an important element for us to be able to extend to another person, even to an abuser, in fact. Um, however, in a, with a narcissistic abuser, they um, will abuse that. So they abuse grace and then they will also turn things around onto the victim and say, you know, I, I do all these things for you. You're not having grace for me um, and demand that as well. So it's not that forgive when it, when it comes to forgiveness and grace and we, we, as we understand a narcissistic abuser doesn't often have grace extend it to others. So they think that any little thing that you've done or fallen short of to meet their needs and expectations requires a consequence and requires a punishment. Usually the victim is receiving a punishment from the narcissistic abuser because they have no extension of grace for others. So that's a clarification I wanted to make in saying that when we talk about forgiveness um, and consequences and boundaries, we are, we are referring to somebody who has significantly harmed another individual that there needs to be forgiveness. There needs to be like grace is not required under that circumstance. It, there needs to be forgiveness and there needs to be boundaries and consequences that take place for that to lead to change, if at all possible. Yeah, I wanted to mention too, you know, when we're dealing with, there are two, there are two worlds as far as I'm concerned because of my own background. 
found. There's the narcissistic, you know, I call it Narcville, and then there's the real <laughs> world, right? Absolutely. Got, there's two realities happening here because if you have people, healthy and normal people, you know, are imperfect, they have issues, they accidentally rub each other the wrong way. But when you're dealing with a narcissist, this is a whole different ballgame you're dealing with. And that's the hardest part to get people to wrap their head around. You're not dealing with the normal relationship issues. And this is why therapeutic um, intervention usually doesn't work with these type of relationships because right. a, a narcissist will come in and manipulate all of these principles and rules. It will take kindness, empathy, compassion, um, grace, and he will manipulate and distort and con his way, use them as tools to be utilized to get his the upper hand and take advantage of everybody else in the room as a master manipulator and a con artist if people are not attuned to their techniques. Yeah. So that's where we always run into an issue. It's even when a woman is trying to explain this to like the powers that be in her church or her therapist or a police officer, people don't understand the depths of the dysfunctional thinking of this person because it is far out. It is right. crazy making. So when you go to your like pastor or your, or, you know, church leader and you're, they're going to say, forgive them, let it go, work it out, talk about it, talk harder, try harder. But really the, the, the narcissist is just laughing this all up. It's just falling right into his hands because he's seeing emotion, compassion, empathy, and all of that as a weakness, not as an opportunity for him to do better as a chance, right? It's right. an opportunity for him to exploit, Absolutely. not as an opportunity for him to get to to receive any help yeah no it's not gonna happen it doesn't happen perfect sense so so we have to so so then the issue here is really not about what's most important from a creator's standpoint is protecting the innocent that's more important than giving grace to an intentional uh, oppressor right this is a person is a perpetrator this person's like somebody who's coming into your house house who's trying to violate you who is more important, all the time the innocent women and children in the house or the the the, the robber coming in to whose whose rights are more important whose grace is more important the innocent or the one who's actively pursuing the wrong course and exploiting the innocent Correct. how would the creator see that he sees it as obvious and that's where you have to really step outside of the equation and look at the overall photo the picture here isn't just about this one circumstance but the narcissist would love you to think that way right this is about you've got to forgive me you've got to let this go because that's what the bible teaches well yes and but god is not to be mocked he's not you know right he's not to be taken advantage of he's not weak or vulnerable he's actually the most the strongest most important being that ever existed so his love and his mercy is weakness to be exploited it, and people will be held accountable and they will suffer the consequences for their bad behavior 
he's the one who's going to do the reaping of that and they should be afraid of it, but they're not, unfortunately. Absolutely. I mean, the scriptures are constantly talking about, you know, how, how we are to have reverence in the Lord. I mean, this is to honor him. This is to honor the way that he sees things, the honor to honor the way that he looks at things. Clearly the narcissistic abuser is not doing this by any means. And, um, yes, like you said, we'll go to these extremes to avoid at all costs taking responsibility for their behaviors and the consequences of their yes. behaviors. So yes. what does this look like today for you, for you ladies in, in the realm of forgiveness? How do you apply this today when you're working with narcissist victims of narcissistic abuse and when you are um just facing a narcissist since we all come across them in our lives at some point whether <laughs> whether it's in an intimate relationship a family relationship or a friendship um how does this play out in your life today how do you use forgiveness and extend that and and work in that realm Kelly, <laughs> I'll let you go first. I feel like I do all the talking. <laughs> so that was, it was two very different things. One is looking at the way that it came to me. I don't know. Could you forgive someone who abused you as a narcissist? And how would you relate that to a client? Um, and the client part of it is, are they even ready to go there yet? And I haven't really met any who, who are. So it's, it's not a conversation. It is something I would encourage. Um, and then as far as forgiving a narcissist, the way that I would have to look at that is more of on the, um, the mental illness side of it, that they probably did have a really rough life and that they were taught a lot of what they know and not dismiss it as is it their fault but is it a sickness in that they can't even help it and can i forgive that part of it um would be the piece i could make peace with in my heart not for the actions and the torture that they put you through um and make you so mentally unstable that you don't even know who you are anymore that part is is tough for me to even think about being able to forgive but the other piece of it would would I guess, weigh in on that. Does that make sense? Yeah, I agree. Definitely. Yeah. And, and to add to that, I was just going to say that for me, I, I think the re let, I think really what this boils down to is the reason why people have a hard time forgiving their narcissist is because they're still in so much pain that it's hard to put that aside long enough to say, okay, I forgive you and I can let this go. I'm not there yet. But really, when you come to terms, this is what I teach my clients, is when you really come to terms with the fact that the level of dysfunctional thinking that this individual has. So this person has a personality disorder, which means that their their thinking is disordered. You know, it's dysfunctional. It's like that of a schizophrenic. It's not connected to reality. And when you realize that what they're doing is really not personal, they're going to treat you this way. They treat their kids this way. They treat their parents this way. The next woman, they will do this their whole life. Um, and when you're able to make that separation and take, make that disconnection that this really isn't about you and therefore you don't have to 
carry the shame associated that it comes, you know, we, there's this shame and feeling factor that connects when someone attacks you that you love, right? So you think, why does he, why does he hurt me this way? Why does he say these things to me? Why does he cheat on me? Doesn't he love me? Why doesn't he love me? Am I not enough? Was I not skinny enough? Was I not pretty enough? And so we take it so personal that it hurts deep down to the core. And what uh, some scientists will even say that it's triggering old wounds that are really there from our childhood. But irregardless of all of that, if you can consciously come to terms with the fact that this person's disorder is really that, and just like if somebody who was disordered on the street would run up to you and say something intrusive, you wouldn't take it personal. If you could make that delineation and separate yourself in that way, you could start to make sense of it and then realize, okay, this person has a problem. I can rise above that fact and not take it personal. And I could start to let some of that pain dissipate, realizing that um, it really, you know, it's not me, it's really them. And you give the shame back to them and then you can let go and just say, you know, I really feel sorry for you. I wish you the best. I hope this situation for you changes. I, I'm going to let go now of what you've done to me um, for my sake, because I don't want to suffer with you anymore. And I hope, uh, and I, I'm just going to let it go and forgive you and walk away. And that's how I've had to deal with a lot of, of people who've really harmed me in my life. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's very wise. And, um, that, that's, that's very similar to, to what I do. And I, I want to talk, I want to talk about the positive and negative consequences of how we choose to forgive. And I would love for you, for you guys to share your input on this. Um, and, and, and where God's heart is in this. And I, I kind of want to reference back here to Christ and when he was on the cross and he, he cried out, God, forgive them for they, they do not know what they do. Um, and there, that's just like a packed, a packed sentence in itself that we could go a whole nother episode on. But I want to just reference that really quickly because I think that when, when Christ was interceding, actually, he was interceding in that moment for us with God and saying, please forgive them. Um, I think that what that entails, and like you were sharing earlier, Nicole, I think that what that entails is that when we have reached a level of repentance, where we have this conviction in our hearts, where we have the, the healthy shame and conviction that leads us to repentance, um, that we then in, enable forgiveness to be received from God. And I think in that moment, that is what Christ is doing. He's interceding for us saying, God, please. And he, he's not forgetting as he's interceding for us, um, that that means he's, he's actually also asking God, like, I pray that these people come to repentance because God makes that very clear all throughout the scriptures. He's pleading with his people continuously to turn their face from sin, to turn their face from evil and turn back to him in repentance. 
He's pleading with his people to repent all the time. And so if that was not a necessary element to be able to receive forgiveness, why would he be doing that? And that is also a necessary element for us to be able to um, forgive someone else. And that's really the only way that trust can be rebuilt. If somebody does have genuine repentance and is truly convicted, and I think when, when Christ says that if you don't forgive, you will not be forgiven, that that means that once that takes place, we are required to forgive. If that person is genuinely repentant and remorseful, yes, we are required to forgive that person. And if we don't and we are hardened by our hearts and we are bitter and we hold on to resentment and all of those things from the enemy, then, then we're not doing what God has commanded us to do. So it's up to us then to make that, to make that choice, that conscious decision to forgive them. And that is at that, at that moment in time, a requirement. It's a requirement for us to always be able to have forgiveness available to the person that is wanting to receive it. Love that. I agree. Definitely. And, you know, and anybody that disagrees with that, really what it boils down to is whether or not a person believes or disagrees with the fact that God has the right to set that standard in the first place. You know, yeah. we're all agreeing by being Christians that God has the right to set the moral code, the moral standards of what's right and wrong. If that's that's the way he does things we have if we if we respect his sovereignty then we will you know yield to that direction or we don't right right and plus if you think about how many how many times have you said and been truly sorry for an error that you've made or a mistake that you've made or you put hurt on someone you really didn't mean it and you give a sincere apology and on the other end of that they're not reciprocating that and they want to hold it against you anyway, regardless. Yeah. And how that, that makes you feel. And then you have to carry that as well. And what, what you know, that other person technically, yeah, they, sh they should have some type of, of remorse for that, right? Right. Yeah, and it really, that where there's nowhere to go after that. If the person doesn't forgive you and let it go, then there's disharmony and disorder amongst, the, you know, the congregation. So there wouldn't be, you know, a way to reconcile the situation. It would just continue on forever, and everybody would have to choose sides. It would just be chaos. So right. you can see the order. He wants them to accept what, what Carrie was saying. Is he wants them to accept that apology and right. to them, right. you know, and when they don't, then they, they're, it's on them and they ultimately get punished, right? So, recept so true repentance, though, is based on an individual who's really sorry. And they show that they're sorry by taking full responsibility for their actions and not dis, you know, um, not turning the tables or trying to shirk responsibility or um you know all the little techniques the, ma the manipulator uses to make it seem like you know they weren't responsible or somebody else 
let made them do it. You know, they say things like, well, if you just didn't do X, Y, Z, you know, I wouldn't X, Y, Z, you know, they, you could tell that they're really sorry by their actions and they maintain that position. It doesn't change. You know, it's Absolutely. I'm sorry forever. It's not, I'm sorry right now, but correct (laughs) yes and you know if you notice that 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 i'm sure you have narcissistic abusers often do that everything is is based on conditions and contingencies with them so it's like okay yeah i i'll do i'll pay the consequences for my actions if you will do this in wanting to share, like you said, share responsibility right. and, and, and not fully own what they did. And, and it's like, no, that's completely separate. And you have to own that. And that was your decision. And you have to pay the consequences for your own behavior, for your own actions. So I want to, I want to leave us off with this question so that we can kind of help others who are struggling in this, in this circumstance. How would you encourage those who are struggling, um, especially women in narcissistic relationships, how would you encourage those who are struggling to forgive um, or who feel that forgiveness is, is just not appropriate for someone who's harmed them? Or, um, you know, how, how would you encourage them to, to forgive or even not to, to forgive or like, how would you paint that out for them? How would you help encourage them to on what to do when it comes to forgiveness in their situations? Kelly? I say mm-hmm. Kelly because this is Kelly's like forte. Kelly, this is what Kelly does. Use the awesome. example of, of having parents who were narcissistic um, and being an adult and not being able to forgive them. And we look at the gift of life that God has given us. And, and by sitting in that unforgiveness, we are wasting a beautiful relationship that could be had if we really desired it. Right. Mm. And the only way that I feel like you can get there is to really take a deep look at where did they come from? What were they taught? How did they feel as kids? What did they know? And then they maybe were young and they still believe these things that they were taught and they were spoke over and they have you. And all they know is to teach what they know. And so that's what they do. And that's the behavior that they have. And that's the experience that you had in your life. Hmm. Now we get to a certain point where we we become adults and we can change our thoughts and our beliefs and we have freedom of choice. And today it's very different because we're taught that and they weren't taught that they were taught to, to believe one certain thing and don't vary. Right. Yeah. And so we can actually take a look at their hearts and them as small children and, and actually have some feeling for that and be able to, forgive them not for what their behavior was but for them having a lack of knowledge of how to change it themselves Hmm. i love that because it kind of goes back to what christ was saying they do not know what they do and in a lot of cases i think you're right kelly um these are people who are also damaged by in most cases 
past trauma themselves. And so a lot of times there is an unconscious, subconscious level of harm that they are doing to others. And, and I just, I want to encourage women to not feel pressured or beat themselves up um, over not being able to forgive. I, I definitely believe, I, I go against what a lot of evangelist Christians believe in this regard, um, the ideology of you know, freely forgiving in the moment, like as, as soon as it happens, I forgive you. Um, I hear that a lot and to, to forgive instantly. And I don't agree with that. And I think that we kind of shared why it, that's, that's not healthy, um, even through the eyes of God and what he teaches in scripture. Um, so I think forgiveness is a process. And I want to encourage women because I think it causes more harm when we are putting pressure on, on victims and, and people who have been really hurt by others um, to, to say, you need to forgive. And it, it kind of further abuses them in a way because they're not able to really receive that process of healing in the space of forgiveness. And, and it doesn't help them to understand um, to, to fully come into that space of holding that person accountable for their actions and setting those boundaries. It kind of blurs the lines when we're putting that pressure on them and, and causing more confusion and pain for the victim. You know, you know what it feels like to them, Carrie, is unjust, right? Yeah. yeah. And God is a God of justice. He loves justice. That's so right. to tell them that just let it go. It's fine. You know, let, you know, just accept what happened and let it go. That makes her feel like there's no, there's no price. And, and we know that that's not how God sees things. It's the reason why he sent Jesus to this earth is to pay the price for our lives. He, everything has to be, um, equal. It, he's just, it's important to him, you know? And right. so the idea that people can just get away with bad behavior is not the way he sees things, but it's just done differently than what we want it to be done. As as humans, we want to see uh, instantaneous uh, consequences. We want to see it now. We want instant gratification, and that's just not how it works. But right. um, sorry, I interrupted. But I did have one quick thought about that too. This question, because um, I want to wrap it up, but. Uh, really quickly for me versus what Christ. So I struggled with this just to be straight up honest. I struggle with forgiveness for people that I know are do nasty things on purpose. I just really have a problem with that. I just do, yeah. you know, because they're consciously choosing to hurt somebody else on purpose. How do you, how do you forgive somebody that um, rapes your daughter and kills her? How do you forgive somebody who, um, runs your kid over uh, because they were being negligent um, on their cell phone and now your your child is dead. How do you forgive somebody who cheats on you when they know that it crushes your soul? You know, like right. how do you, so so those questions, but, but nobody suffered worse than Jesus did when he was here on earth. So no matter what we go through, he suffered grotesque uh, persecution, physically, emotionally, verbally, um, and yet the way he saw it was different than me. And that's something I'm working on in my own spiritual growth 
is trying to align my view with his. Um, and he actually prayed like you were saying, um, and said, you know, these people are thrown about as sheep with or sheep without any shepherd. You know, he knows that right. he's, he was watching in heaven, all of the things that have happened to these people throughout their whole lives. He understands their human psyche and all of the components that made up all of these different parts of their brain and why they do what they do. We don't. So, and they can read hearts. We can't. So they understand way more um, than we do. So it's, it's a struggle for humans, but yeah. Um, but just accepting that people are, we're all imperfect. We're all struggling. We're all on this planet together, suffering. And I think that we do have to have compassion for other people in their circumstances. But at the same time, I think we have to protect ourselves from future, future pain. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that, Nicole. Um, I, I definitely empathize with what you're saying and and that is very encouraging what you shared what what you and Kelly both have shared is very encouraging and um I think that in regards to to those horrible circumstances that you were sharing Nicole um in this book called Many in the Soul the pastor talks a lot about that because there are just horrible abuse abusive situ- situations that he covers in this book and in really awful cases um of abuse like that especially ongoing you know when you, when you're in an abusive relationship with someone that's just re-abusing you over and over again for years and years um it it is hard really humanly hard to come to to forgiveness that that and and actually he shares in this book the pastor shares that i think it's up for debate Honestly, I think it's up for debate on, you know, when you're talking about the Christian faith and what is commanded or by God or whatever. I think it's up for debate as to whether or not those individuals actually do deserve forgiveness. And so that being said, you know, I think that that's still something that is, um, is within the journey that you have in your personal relationship with God and what he's putting on your heart to do. And I know that I was struggling with forgiveness. Like I said, the first time for the first time in my life, really struggling with it over this past holiday season. And I reopened this book to that chapter on forgiveness. And it became clear to me that I was being too hard on myself. And so I don't think it's necessarily commanded by God that we forgive in every circumstance. I think it depends solely on the indi- the individual circumstances um, per person. So that's something to to definitely keep in mind and just continue encouraging the women that we work with and other people that Forgiveness is a journey. It's not something that happens overnight. Um, there are things that we know God requires to take place in order for, for forgiveness to, to be offered and for healing. Healing, I want to say, I believe can take place in that process. I think when we go through the process of, of forgiving an individual or letting go, 
we are going through a healing process in that journey as well. So I don't think it necessarily requires we forgive to heal. I hear that a lot too. You can't heal if you haven't forgiven. I don't agree with that. I think that there's a lot of healing that is done in that space of learning. Is this situation acceptable for me to be to extend and offer forgiveness for this person? I mean, it's a very independent, circumstantial thing that we need to keep in mind and be sensitive to. Totally. So thank you, ladies, so much. I feel so honored to have had you on today and just everything, the value that was received on this episode today for our guests, I know is going to be tremendous. Um, and I wish you both a really blessed Easter weekend. Thank you so much, Carrie. We're so happy to be here. We appreciate you. Absolutely. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you, Kelly.